This week's parsha is Parsha's Truma. Parsha's Truma allows us the entry into the Mishkan, into the world of the tabernacle, into the world of Kedusha, the Makam Hashchina. And there are so many lessons to be learned. Don't ignore these parshas, Truma, Tetzaveh, and beyond. Sefer Vayikra. It seems a little bit abstract. It seems like it's not pertinent to us, but it's in fact very pertinent. And besides for the fact that if you're Isaac in uh, in in Kachim, it's kilo uh, it's kilo hikriv carbon. If you're bring if you're learning the halachas of an oila, b'chatas of a shlam, it's like you're actually bringing them. And if you're engaged in the parshias of binyan mishkan, it's like you're building a mishkan. Besides for that, but there's actually real takeaway musr and, and hashkafa and hadracha from all of these uh, all of these parshas and especially perhaps parshas truma where we have uh, so many symbolic kalim that are being commanded to be built and all of them are for our own uh, learning experience. So one of the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Meshur Rabbeinu to be built is the Menaira. And the Pasuk says in Parakhaf Hey Pasuk Lamid Aleph, the Asisa Minairas Zahav Tahar. You're supposed to make a minaira of pure gold. And this wasn't easy to do. Today, if you have a silversmith, a goldsmith that's supposed to be tasked with making a minaira, it's not a big deal because I could take uh, many different pieces and then just assemble it. Today the minaras you just screw together. The, the cups where they go and, the, uh, and the, each of the, uh, the different arms of the Menaira are screwed, screwed into the actual base of the Menaira and then there's etc. Today, it's quite easy to make a Menaira, but imagine how difficult it was to build a Menaira for the Mishkan because the Torah says it has to be Miksha Teyasa Menaira. It has to be hammered out. It was one long gold plate and from one long gold plate, the entire menorah had to be banged out. Imagine forming a menorah without any moving parts, without any assembly. It's all made from one big piece of, of gold. It's an, an amazing task. It's an amazing mission to accomplish. The Pasa continues that Yurecha Vikana Giviyeha Kaftaira Ufracheha Mimeno Yiu. You have to build its base, its shaft, its cups, and then it ends, its knobs and its blossoms. They all have to be hammered from it. I want to focus today on this last, the last two facets of the Menaira that the Pasuk describes, and that's the knobs of the Menaira and the blossoms of the Menaira. What in the world are those? So if you look in Rashi, Rashi says that Kaftaira is Kemin Tapuchim Hayu. They were round like apples. Agulim Saviv, Boltim Sevivais Hakana Hamtsai, and they were basically like balls that were that were sticking out of the uh, of the middle of the uh, branches of the Menaira, of the Kana, I'm sorry, the shaft that's in the middle, if you look at a picture, there would be balls that were at the base of the branches that were coming out of the Menaira. 
So that's what kaftira is. Those are the balls, the tapuchim, the apples, as it were, that are ornamenting the menorah. Ufracheha is tziurin asuyin bakimin prachim. They made also, additionally, to beautify the menorah, there were pracha, there were blossoms that looked like flowers, that looked like, like blossoms of a flower that were more on the, uh, on the top of the uh, menorah, uh, near the cup that held the oil, you'd find like the ornaments of pracha. The medrash in Bereshis Rabbah Parshas Miketz, Tzadi Aleph Tess, <coughs> says as follows, when somebody would say a good svara to Reb Tarfan, something of art that Reb Tarfan appreciated, that Reb Tarfan felt was a geshmak of art, he would say, the reaction of Reb Tarfan to a great vart in Taira was saying this expression, it's beautiful. It's beautiful like a kaftar and a farach, like a, a ball and a, and a flower and a blossom taken from this pasuk. The mefarshim on this medrash explain, the Yitzhak and the Matnas Kahuna, they say, Noim ba'agulim hadvarim kekaftar v'yafim kefarach. That it's so beautiful, it's perfect. Like the balls on the menorah were perfect. They were spheres. They, were, they weren't you know, in any way misshaped, they were all perfectly shaped, and that gives a per- person an aesthetic appreciation for the perfection of the Menaira. That's how your Vart is also Agulim, it's beautiful, it's, it's Naya. And also, it's Yafim Keperach. It's as beautiful as a Perach, meaning the Vart is watertight, it's a perfect Vart, and it also has beauty to it. There's a certain, uh, there's a certain Chain, there's a Yafi to, the, to your Vart. Sometimes you hear a good vart, sometimes you hear a vart, and okay, it's emis, but it doesn't like necessarily shine, to you at least, with beauty. You don't see the geschmack in the vart, you just don't, you accept it as being a good vart, a solid vart, logical, rational, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily speak to you. Sometimes you hear a vart and it like warms your heart, like you say, wow, that's a beautiful vart. And you want to say it over to people, you want to repeat it, you want to write it down, you want to remember it, and every year you bring it up again. There are veritlach like that, right? We all have our favorite veritlach. When Reb Tarfan would hear somebody say a vart like that, he would say, there's a beauty to your vart. There's a perfection. It, it just, it's, it's just, I appreciate what you're saying. There, there's, there's an element of, of great, great beauty to it. Now we know that the Menorah represents Chachmas HaTayra. Each of the Kalim in the, in the Mikdash have a certain symbolism that the Svarim HaKadoshim speak about. The Aaron, of course, is Tyra, Tyra Bechlal, because it held the Luchas, it held the Sefer Tyra in there. So whenever we speak about the Aaron, we could give many, many Shiurim, many Shmuzin, many Vadin on all the facets of the Menorah, of, of the Aaron, because... They all symbolize Tyra. So, for example, the poles, the Bade Ha'arin, that can never be detached from the Arin, represents people that support Tyra, that give money to Tyra. And they are loyasura mi, 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 they will never be detached from the Tyra. Meaning, in this world, 
and the next world, the supporters of Tyra, the people that are carrying the Aaron, the, they're carrying the, uh, the Tyra on their shoulders financially. So they will always be a part of the Tyra. When they come to the next world, they'll be fluent in Tyra, they'll be conversed in Tyra, Kiyadua, that if somebody supports Tyra in this world, upstairs in Shamayim, they're a Tamar Chacham. It's a famous story about uh, a Balabas that died, and he came to Reb Chaim Velazhner shortly, like within a day or two after his Patira. And in his dream, he said to Reb Chaim Velazhner, they were like talking and learning about, I don't know, some very, very, you know, deep sugya and shas that this Balabas probably never learned in his life, let alone to be able to converse with the great Reb Chaim Velazhner about it. And after, when Reb Chaim Velazhner woke up, he was very surprised. So they asked him, what are you so surprised? You were the one that always said the Vart that if you are supporting Tyra and this Balabas who died was a big supporter of Tyra that you're going to be conversant. He says, yeah, I'm not surprised about that. I'm just surprised that it happened so fast. I'm so, I'm surprised that immediately he died and he became Reb Kivager like a media in two seconds. That's an amazing thing. I thought maybe it takes a couple of years maybe he has to go through a cycle of Dafyami first up there or something and then solely, you know, he'll be able to, you know, he, he got his bearings right away. He's like immediately a Tamachachim, fluent in Tyra. Those are the Badei Ha'aren. And then, of course, there's crowns around the Aaron, and all of this is, every one of them we could speak about for a long time. Today, I'd like to speak about the Menorah itself. The Menorah speaks not of the Tyra per se, but about the Chachmas Tyra, the brilliance of Tyra. How do we know that that's what it represents? Because there's a Gemara in Bava Basra, Chafei, Yadrim. If a person wants to be very, very smart, Yadrim, he has to um, situate himself to the south, whatever that Gemara means, but it has to be Yadrim. And the Gemara says the Simonich and the sign is Menaira Bedarim. The Menaira was situated in the southern part of the Mishkan. So therefore, we see that if you want to have chachmas hatayra, so you want to look to the you, you want to look to the menayra. The menayra is the symbol of chachmas hatayra, the brilliance of tayra. Memela, when we speak about the menayra and we speak about kaftayra ufracha mimenayir, that the menayra has to have coming out of it mimenayir should have the flowers, it should have the balls, it should have the ornaments, the aesthetic beauty. We're speaking about that the Chachmas HaTayra has to not only be understood by us, we have to understand Tyra, we have to try to intellectually grasp it, absorb it, digest it, but we're also supposed to appreciate it, find it pleasuresome. Though when we learn Tyra, we should have a geschmack in our learning. It shouldn't be, okay, I'm going to eat my peas and carrots, like, you know, I'm going to first Seder, I really don't want to, I really would rather learn or study or do anything, but, all right, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a bullet for Hashem, I'm going to learn Tyra, I know this is what he wants, and so I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. It's not interesting to me, it's not exciting to me, it's quite boring to me, and I get zero pleasure, but I know it's important, I know I get a lot of schar for it, so I'll do it, but I don't like doing it and don't expect me to enjoy doing it. And many guys come to me, come out every day, I would say, lately, with such a thing, such a taina or such a, a grievance that, or, or a remorse that they don't enjoy their learning. 
they don't enjoy learning and they don't want to learn and they don't feel like they, you know, that it's something that they want to spend their time on. And what, why do I have to learn Gemara? And why do I have to? And all, it's, it's, and I understand what they're saying. It's not like I'm not shocked. I'm not like I'm, a, but it's important to remember that Tyra is supposed to, in its perfect stage, if we were able to really be learning on the level that we should be, we should be enjoying it. It's supposed to be, it's designed to be an experience to be savored and to enjoy. We should see the beauty in it. We should enjoy it. Sometimes, you know, you see something and it's like beautiful to you. It's a beautiful thing. If ever, anyone's ever gone to the Niagara Falls, it's, a, it's one of the seven wonders of the world, right? And it's something that you go and your eyes like can't be sighted. Like it's such a, a beautiful thing to, to behold that you're, it's beautiful. There's a beauty to it. I just, Reb Branspiegel, who was nifter this past week, was the founding Rashiva of, of our yeshiva. There's going to be Hespedim on Sunday and I'm urging everybody to come. It's important even though I don't think any one of you has, uh, you know, you never saw a brown spiegel. He was sick for the last 10 years and he, uh, he was in Lakewood and um, you might not even have ever heard his name for that matter until this week. But he was the founding Rashiva here and it's important to be Makar and to hear a little bit about the history of your yeshiva that you're in. It should be significant to you. So I just read a, an article that he, was, he had a lot of chain with brown spiegel and his kids wanted to go one, on a trip with him to, uh, to Niagara Falls. And he didn't want to go. He wanted to sit and learn. He says, you want, to, you want Niagara Falls? Go turn on the kitchen sink and watch the water drop. <laughs> it, was, it was a cute line. That's, that's the way he was. He was very bachain. He had a lot of chain. And he, was, he loved Tyra. And he had a tremendous geschmack in Tyra. But if you go to Niagara Falls, you see there's, a, there, there's something beautiful about it. The Rabbani Shalom created a beautiful world. And the same thing is true for many of the, you know, the Grand Canyon, and, and, and not just these things, but if you go to a beautiful lake, or you go to the ocean, or you go, uh, you look at an amoeba under a microscope, if you have the right eye, you see the aesthetic beauty of everything that Kaddish Baruch Hu makes. But Tyra is also from the Rabbi Nishalem. And Tyra is beautiful as well. And we have to try the, the, the goal when we're in yeshiva is to try to once in a while say, wow, that's a beautiful Tysus. That's a beautiful Ram. If your Rebbe is doing it right, you should be walking out of Shira saying, wow, that's, this is such a beautiful Sugya. Or if I'm doing it right, that's such a beautiful Parsha, such a beautiful Vart. Because Taira is so beautiful. It's Kaftaira. The Chachmas of is not just intellectual. You know, maybe if you learn about a, a geometry, and uh, you learn about the Pythagoras uh, theory of a, uh, of a triangle, a squared plus b squared equals c squared, maybe you'll say that, um, you know, it makes sense, and you think about it, wow, that's cool, but I don't think anyone's saying it's beautiful. It's a chachma, your makabalit is a chachma, but it's not necessarily something that you'll, you're inspired by, that you find, you know, awe-inspiring and, and beautiful. But Taira is designed to be beautiful. Nobody says this better than the Egle Tal. The Egle Tal is a classical achrain on 
on, on Shabbos, on the Lamites Melachas of Shabbos, Tal is Lamites, Egle Tal. And the Egle Tal, and perhaps one of the most famous Hakdamas of all the Svarim, he speaks about this, and he says that there are many people that are under the false understanding, the false impression that Taira is supposed to be learned with great suffering. Like Yegiya Satara, you think about somebody that's like mamish suffering and he's like schwitzing and he's like breaking his head, smacking his head against the brick wall to understand it. But if you enjoy the learning, if let's say you're like really into it and you're getting a geschmack out of it, that's like Taira Shalai Lishma. That's like learning Taira in an improper way. That's, uh, that's an aberration. That's not something that you're supposed to be doing. Taira is supposed to be learned like, uh, like with grunt work. It's not supposed to be learned with any pleasure and without any with any einig. It's not you know if you learn it and you get a lot of pleasure from it, then that's taira shalay lishma. You want taira lishma. You want it to be like like a a, a, a chore. And he says chas v'shalom. He says that could not be further from the truth. And he writes kizehi iker mitzvah limanatayra. The main mitzvah of limanatayra is. That when you're learning, you should be rejoicing. You should be ecstatic. And derive great pleasure from your learning. And when you do so, says the Egletal, when you're able to do that, then the Taira is it becomes absorbed into your bloodstream. How do you get something absorbed into your bloodstream? You have to love it. If you don't love it, you don't, it's not a part of you. It never becomes a part of you. Things that are, that are chores, things that are tedious, things that are boring to you, you try to get them out of your mind as soon as possible. At the end of a school year, you're not like, you say, like if somebody asks you, what are you doing this summer? I never heard somebody say, I'm hazarding chemistry. I never heard that. Maybe people do. I don't know. I've never seen that. I've never seen people chazer Western lit. I just never saw it because it's boring. It's boring, you know, as, as boring could be. I know some guys find it exciting. I, my apologies. But for most people, most normal people, it's very boring. Okay? So you don't want to chazer. You don't want You want it. You want to, I got my A, hopefully, and I'm done with it. I never want to look at this stuff again. When it comes to Tyra... Or for that matter, for, before we get to Torah, anything that's interesting to you, anything that, you, that has a personal appeal to you, it's exciting to you, whatever it may be, you know, you fill in the blank, whatever you personally like, it's nivla b'dame. I mean, I could, you know, as when I was a little kid, I loved Batman cartoons on TV. I could probably still, you know, cannot tell you word for word of every single bat. I just loved it. It was just part of my, it was my, my whole halachelech. I just loved it. So your, things that you love, for better or for worse, gets nivla bedame. It just becomes part of you. You know, people remember certain things that they, that they really enjoy. If you read a, a book and you love the book, if you listen to a song and you love the song, it stays with you. You could, li- you could not have heard it for, you know, for 10 years, but it's still, you know, you remember every word of it. You remember every knech in the, in the music of it because it's nivla bedame. It gets absorbed into your bloodstream. It's part of you. Says the Egletal that the mitzvah of Talmud Taira is that you should love it. It should be geschmack to you. You should enjoy it so much 
that it becomes nivla bedame, that you just want to learn it, you want to chazer, you want to retain it. And you will retain it because it's part of you. You know, Rav Gifter used to always say this, this ugly tal, as everybody said it, but he, he got tremendous ana when he saw it in a rishain. You know, it's an achrin, the ugly tal. There's no, you can't, you know, an achrin is, is wonderful, but he found this same vart that the ugly tal says about that the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is enjoying the Torah, he found it in a rishain. The rishain is goes by the name of Rabbi Avram Minhahar, not maybe the most household name Rishain. We're used to the Rambam and the Rashba and the Ritva, etc. But Rashi Taisis, the Meiri, but the, more recently they came out with a sefer called Rabbi Avram Minhahar. When I was a Bachar, there was, uh, I learned in, in Yeshiva called the Masifta of Long Beach, a very Chashav Yeshiva, and the Every couple of months or so, there would be an, an old rabbi that would come to the yeshiva and sell svarim that he published. And they were like, like very scholarly works. And who was this man? He was a person that he had a photographic memory. And the legend goes that he was permitted to go into the Vatican. The Vatican has a very famous library with a lot of kisvayad of Rishainim. They have, you know, not surprising, I mean, they looted, and the, the Christians looted and pillaged Europe, you know, time and time again, from the Crusades until Adayim, and so, so you know, basically, they just stole anything of value, and they, and they stored it in their, in their, in their treasure trove. So who, nobody knows exactly what else the Vatican has. Of course, everyone always is curious if they ha- have the Menaira, if they have other Kayim of the Beis HaMikdash. It's not... It's not clear, and there's many, many different sources, uh, you know, proving both ways. But be that as it may, the Vatican has a library of Kisviyat of Rishonim that were unpublished. This man got permission, but of course he wasn't allowed to bring uh, a camera. He wasn't allowed to bring, uh, you know, any recording devices, any scanners. They didn't have scanners back then anyway, but um, so... But he had a photographic memory. So what he did was he would basically go into the Vatican. He would read through these Kisveyad. It wasn't easy to decipher Ksaviyad either. It's not, it wasn't like you know, reading an art scroll and then going out and, and quickly writing it down. You had to first stop what the Ksaviyad was saying. So you can imagine the level of brilliance that this man had. And he would go out and he would transcribe everything that he had read and, and, you know, and write it down. And he published dozens of Svarim of the Rishainim, and we have a lot of that, we, we have whatever he published, exists. And he used to come and sell these Svarim, and one of them was Rabbi Ram Ahar, it was a recently published thing, so it wasn't, it wasn't so known at the time, you know, it was only maybe discovered 50 years ago. So the Rabbi Ram Ahar, and this man that did this, he was the one that sold the Svarim, he was the one that would come to my yeshiva and try to so I didn't know who he was at the time. Obviously, I would have probably been mechabin him a lot more. I mean, I would have spoken to him. I would have, you know, bought some of his sarim, which I didn't. But he was a, a person of historic importance because a lot of the rishonim that that we have are from this one man. In any event, Rabbi Avraham Minahar on Meseches Nedarim Memchesa Menalev says the following: Hilkach leshayach lemeimar b'mitzvus Talmud.
to leinit and lehanes, lehanes. Normally, there's a rule mitzvahs lav lehanes that mitzvahs we're not given to derive pleasure from, and there's a lot of halachic ramifications. A big sugya and shas mitzvahs lav lehanes but when it comes to the mitzvah of Talmud, meaning the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, says Rabbi Ramanahar, that rule doesn't apply. You can't say mitzvah slav because she'ikar mitzvasai, the main mitzvah of Talmud Torah, hi ha'anava tainug, it's the pleasure and the enjoyment b'mashemasig u'meven b'limudai, with what you understand and you're able to to absorb from your limud, you're supposed to get tremendous pleasure from that. It's the one mitzvah that is lehanis nitnu. It was given to derive pleasure from. You're not supposed to eat matzah to derive pleasure from. If you get pleasure, that's, a, that's collateral. But it's not, the mitzvah is not given that you should enjoy, per se, the mitzvah of matzah, or the mitzvah of jumping into a mikvah, or the mitzvah of, it's not for your enjoyment. Hashem didn't give it to us for our personal pleasure. If you get personal pleasure, that's a, you know, that's something on the side. That's independent of the mitzvah. But when it comes to the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, the actual mitzvah, the Iker mitzvah is that you should be deriving pleasure from the mitzvah, from the learning. And so now we are faced with a challenge ourselves. After we've explained all that we have explained, and there's so much more, obviously, that we're not touching upon, but the bottom line is that we are seeing from these sources that the Torah is designed to be pleasurable. The Torah is supposed to have the aesthetic beauty of kaftor v'farach. When you hear a vart and you appreciate it, you're supposed to say, that is an object of beauty. I have a, a spiritual pleasure, a geschmack from it. So what remains for us to speak about in the next 10 minutes is why is it that we don't get it? If you do get it, of course, obviously we're not talking to you. But those of us, and I know that there's a sizable population that, you know, that do not get Hana from learning Tyra. They don't have a good, they do it, and they, you know, and they, maybe they feel accomplishment by their skills getting better and by the ideas that they are accumulating. But do they have an actual pleasure? Is it of equal note? Is it, is it equal to the other pleasures that we derive in life? Can I say honestly that, you know, the pleasure of learning Tyra is as geschmack as eating a steak or eating ice cream? Is it? Maybe for some of it it's much better. But for a lot of us, it's not. Why not? Why are we not appreciating Limana Tyra? And what can we do about it if we're not? So I want to tell you a story about Rav Steinemann. Um, before I tell you this story, I just want to tell you a quick vart that I once had um, that's Nagea to this. The Pasuk says in Sefer Shemais, V'layachlo lishdais mayim, Perak Tesav Hazlachav Gimel, V'layachlo lishdais mayim imara kimarim heim. They were not able to drink water, the Jews, after they left Egypt in the desert. There was a place called Mara. The water was undrinkable. Why? Because it was Kimarimheim. The simple shot is because the waters were very bitter. The Baal Shem Tev says differently. He says, Kimarimheim doesn't mean that the waters were bitter. It means that Klal Yisrael were bitter. Klal Yisrael were bitter at that point in history, and therefore the water that they drank 
was bitter to their taste. Meaning if a person is healthy and a person is happy and a person is well-adjusted and a person is content, then whatever you give him to eat or to drink, they're happy with. It's, it's delicious, it's sweet, it's geschmack. When a person is themselves bitter, when there's something wrong with them, them with they themselves, nothing is good. You know, it's like the joke that they say that uh, um, there were a group of women that were in a, in a kosher restaurant and, uh, you know, they were getting ready to order and the, the waiter comes over to them and says, ladies, is anything okay? Instead of saying, is everything okay? Whatever they say, is, every, is anything? Because we like complaining. Everything is no good. I want to send this back. This wasn't good. This wasn't bad. You know, I once went to a chasna. It was, I would say, easily a million dollar chasna. There was a 50-piece band. There was flowers. Every, every step you took, there was another bouquet of flowers. There was wine that was pouring. It was literally a million-dollar chasna. Probably, I'm probably underestimating. And I'll never forget, like, I was driving in a car with other people on the way back from this wedding, and people were doing nothing but complaining about the steak was a little tough, and the wine, they could have gotten some better wine. It wasn't old enough, and the schnapps was this, and the, the, the music could have been better. I, I was like, I didn't say anything because I'm a sissy, but like, I was thinking, like, you know, Laman Hashem, the guy spent a million dollars on this wedding, and nobody could say, like, one nice vart, like, one, one thing it was a beautiful wedding. I didn't hear one positive thing. You know why that is? Why is it that people can't give out a compliment, can't say something was nice, can't say that was a, you know, something? Because if you're a bitter person, then everything that you experience is going to be bitter. If you're a sweet person, everything is geschmack. I, you know, there are people that I know that are super fine, nice, you know, really good people to the core, and they, they will never complain. It could be freezing cold, they don't feel it, or they don't say anything. They could have meat that's burnt, or that's too salted, or not salt. They'll always say it's delicious. Because they they're good people, when you're bitter, then what you taste is going to be bitter. What I wanted to say on this Vart of the Baal Shem Tov is that there's a Gemara, that Pasuk of the Gemara in Baba Kama Darshins it as far as Talmud Tire. We're not going to go into how it, but suffice to say that Pasuk is referring to Talmud Tire in the eyes of Chazal. And so, Mamela, the Vart of the Baal Shem, I think, applies very easily to Tamatira. Which means to say that if you feel that there's something not Gishmak about learning, the Taira is the sweetest thing in the world, but there's something wrong with you. Something wrong with you. If you don't feel that the Taira is Gishmak, you don't feel that Einig, that Hana, that Sas, Vesameach, like the Egletal says, it's a din in you. In fact, the Yerushalmi in Peo says on the Pasuk, it's not empty, talking about the Tyra. It's not an empty thing, Tyra. So the, the Gemara Darshan's Amra Mana, it's not empty. If there's something that you feel deficient about the Tyra, it's not the Tyra. If it's Reiku, it's Mikemu. Look in a mirror. It's you that's deficient. You're, that, you're the thing that's, that's lacking. The Torah is perfect. Torah is Hashem to me, Mishibas Nafesh. Mitzufim, 
Mesukim midvash v'noifesufim. It's the sweetest thing in the world, Tyra. If you feel it's not, it's your fault. You have to change something about yourself. The water is sweet. Marimim is you're not sweet. And with this uh, background, I want to tell you a beautiful story about Rav Steinman. Steinman, of course, was a person that had zero interest in Eilam Haza. We've discussed in the past, he had, his apartment was decrepit and he sat in a bed with a, he didn't have a chair, he sat like there was like a stool that was in his back and he, that, that kept him up and he was, he, he, he had no food, he didn't want food, he didn't want to enjoy anything, he was, he was like the simplest person in the world. He was gaunt, somebody once made him a chag and something, an ashita that he had, and somebody said to this person, that had the chutzpah to make a machah against Rav Steinemann, something to the effect that what you learned in 40 years, Rav Steinemann learned in 40 days. He says, and what you ate in 40 days, Rav Steinemann didn't eat in 40 years. Rav Steinemann was a person that was the most, you know, he had no interest in Eilam Haza. It was a very hard person to understand because we're not used to that in this world. We're used to everybody eating and drinking and sushi and, you know, it's like a geschmack a lot. It's a big party. He didn't want any, he didn't want to participate in that party. He wanted to just have one party and that was Tyrus. Listen to this story. There was a guy, a yeshiva bacher that had zero interest in learning. He, he, he was found mostly on the streets. He didn't want to be in the base matters. He was, he, had, he was burned out of learning, whatever the words that we use to describe our relationship with Daira. And somebody said to him, listen, I'm going to Rav Steinemann. They, this whole thing took place in Bnei Brak. Rav Steinemann lived in Bnei Brak. He says, I'm going to Rav Steinemann for a bracha. You want to come? Maybe it's good for you to get a bracha from Rav Steinemann. So he says, you know what? As a matter of fact, I do want to come with you. But I'm only coming with you if I could say something to Rav Steinemann. I don't want you to stop me from saying it. I know you're going to start being a, a kanoi and, 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 and pull me out and throw me out the door. I might say something. It might be slightly you know, unorthodox that I'm telling Rav Steinemann. But let me say, speak my piece. If you let me do that, I'll come with you. Otherwise, I'm not interested in going. So he says, all right, listen, fine. You do whatever you want. This person comes into Rav Steinemann together with his friend and he says, Rav Steinemann, he says, could I go outside, if anyone's, I happen to know this, outside of Rav Steinemann's building in Bnei Brak, like a few doors down, there was a, an ice cream store. You know, they sell, sell all ice creams and slushes and Slurpees and all this stuff. He says, can I bring Rav Steinemann like a delicious ice cream? So, Urshayman didn't even know what ice cream is, I don't think. He was like, like he asked his gabe, like, what's this guy saying? He says, okay, never mind. He says, could I bring Urshayman a steak? Like a schmack a steak. Urshayman had no idea what a steak was. He says, what's this person talking about? So, the, the gabe sort of, I guess, understood wh- what he was trying to get at. So, he told Urshayman that he wants to bring you, like, uh, something enjoyable, something very geschmack to eat. So Urshayim says, no, I'm not interested in that. It doesn't do it for him. Not, he's, so he says, this Bacher says to Urshayim, he says, for you, you know, you don't appreciate steak. You don't appreciate ice cream. He says, but the same way that you don't appreciate ice cream, and ice cream is the sweetest thing in the world, 
and steak is the most geschmacka thing in the world, I don't appreciate Tyra. Now, I know you're going to tell me Tyra is geschmack and Tyra is sweet and Tyra is steak and Tyra is glida and Tyra... But for me, it's not. So the same way that you don't have any appreciation for what I think is sweet, I'm telling you that I have no appreciation for Tyra, which you tell me is sweet. I don't find it sweet. I don't find it geschmack. I don't find it appealing. What should I do? So his friend was already like quite embarrassed like that he was putting her shame on the spot. He's starting maybe to rethink his decision to take him with him. And if Steinman wasn't, you know, his, he didn't, his feathers didn't get ruffled. And with his brilliance and his simplicity and his, his, his yashras, he looks this boy in the eye and he says as follows. He says, listen, he says, what's the sweetest food in the world beyond ice cream? What's really the sweetest food in the world? So the Bach says, I don't have to think about it. He said, I'll tell you what the sweetest, the sweetest food in the world is, is honey. Honey is the sweetest food, and there's nothing sweeter than honey, right? You put honey in your mouth, it's like sweet, like sweet like honey, sweet like sugar. It's the sweetest thing in the world. He says, I was once with somebody, and he had honey, and he said, I, I can't eat this, it's, it's so, it's so, it's hurting me, it's like bitter, it's like, it's, I, I can't stand this. Like, who can't stand honey? It's sweet. Anyway, he says, why didn't the guy like it? Because it turns out that he had sores in his mouth. He had some sort of canker sore in his mouth. And when you have a sore in your mouth and you have honey, it agitates it. It, like, it, it, it makes it very difficult to... Uh, it, it's, it, it kills a sore. I don't know. I never experienced that, Baruch Hashem, but like, that's what, that, as I is. That's the mitzvah. Honey is sweet, but it's only sweet if your mouth is perfect. If your mouth has sores in it, has cuts in it, is, has open wounds in it, there's something wrong with your mouth, honey is going to be bitter. It's going to be hurtful. You're not going to appreciate it and quite to the opposite. It's going to be very distasteful. If Steinemann says that there's nothing in the world that's as sweet as Tyra, he says, I, take, take my word for it. I know you don't, you don't believe me. There's nothing in the world that's as sweet and geschmack as Tyra. The Pasuk says, Mesukim midvash v'neifes sufim. It's as sweet as honey. V'neifes sufim is combs of honey, like honeycombs, not the cereal. The actual combs of honey. It's sweet. Tyra is sweet. Davin HaMelch says Tyra is geshmak. If Davin HaMelch says that, that Tyra is geshmak, then we could take his word for it. And, and we see many G'dayim that felt the same way. Elamite why is it that when we sit down and we learn Psachim, it's not so geschmack? Why is it? Why is it that we're, we're learning it and maybe, and we're, but it's not like something that you walk away and like, wow, what a geschmack of Tysis. Why not? Why didn't I feel that way? You know why? It says because there is cuts in our mouth. Honey is geschmack, but it has to be with a perfect mouth. What, was he, what did he mean? He meant that Tyra is geschmack, but it has to be, you have to be a clay kibble for the Tyra to be geschmack. Like we said, kimarimheim. If you're bitter, then the Tyra is going to be bitter. If there's a cut in your mouth, it's going to hurt you. If there's something to, wrong with us, if we are lacking the kedusha that Tyra requires, then it's not shocking that it's not so geschmack for us. 
if we're into movies and we're into sports and we're into you know video games and we're into hobbies and we're into you know I'm not talking about playing sports and doing exercise and and having some interest in life that's not what I'm talking about but if we're doing things that are let's say contrary to what the Torah wants then we're not able to appreciate fully the beauty, the kaftav of of Torah. Torah is only able to be fully appreciated by somebody that has the right glasses for Torah. I'm just reminded of a story with uh, Ramato Pagramansky, the great Telzer Gadol. Uh, he was an Eloi, a rabbi of Rav Gifter, a tremendous, tremendous, huge guy in learning. And he used to give a mushal that a person was walking through a museum and, and everybody was like ooing and eyeing at the, uh, at the paintings, one after another. So let's say it was in, the, in, in Paris, in the, in the Louvre, where they have the famous uh, uh, Mona Lisa painting and many other classic you know, paintings. And everybody's like walking through and like, ooh, ah, beautiful painting. Uh, you know, and they're like taking it all and this, this guy keeps saying, buttermilk. Every painting that he passes by, all there's one comment is by everyone saying beautiful, a masterpiece, classic, you know, uh, epic, and he's saying buttermilk. And then they go to the next painting. Everyone's oh ah, you know, Dagon and Mona Lisa, uh, you know, uh, Van Gogh, uh, buttermilk. And like the curator of the museum that's taking all these people on the tour is like very confused. Like, what, what does he keep saying buttermilk for? So he, she goes over to them. What do you mean buttermilk? He says, everybody sees beauty in these paintings. All I see is buttermilk. So she says, sir, can I borrow your glasses for a second? He says, sure. He takes off his glasses. She looks at the glass in the light. She says, sir, you have buttermilk all over your glasses. There's a big smudge of buttermilk on your glass. She takes out a you know, handkerchief. She cleans off his glasses. Now look at the painting. And then he says, ah, wow, beautiful. Ooh, ah. That's us. If we have clean glasses, if our glasses are pure, if our eyes are pure, and we're not looking at Shmutz Day and I, we're not thinking about Shmutz Day and I, we're not obsessed with these things. Now, when our eyes look at a Taisus, when our eyes look at a Ramam, when our eyes look at a Rukhayim, we could say, ooh, ah, and really appreciate, see the Kaftar Vatharach in it. But if we're not able to, it's Mikemu, it's not the Tyra's fault. The Tyra is beautiful, it's our fault. We have buttermilk on our glasses. We have cuts in our mouth. We have sores in our brain from all that we've experienced. And the more that we're able to be pirish from these things, in direct relationship with the amount of precious that we have from looking at things that we're not supposed to, that's how we'll be able to gain a new appreciation for Tyra and be mechadish in Tyra and see the kaftar of see the beauty of Tyra. I saw once a story about Rabbi Ashra Arieli, Shlita, the great Rosh Hashiva in the Mir in Yerushalayim who gives the largest shear in the world, you know, ar- arguably the best shear in the world. People come you know, by the hundreds, maybe by the thousands to the Mir just to hear his shear. And there's no room, that, you know, that's, there's like, you know, it's, it's piped into the dormitories, to dining rooms, to people you know, on the radio. You can, you can listen to Shira in many places because there, there there's not a room in the mirror that can hold all the people that want to listen. 
you know, obviously he's a tremendous Tamachacham that sees the beauty of Tyra. And they asked him once, how are you Zaycha? I mean, clearly, you know, you have something that the world wants. But there are many Tamidacham in Eretz Yisrael. And no one has near the shear, not even a fraction of the shear that you have. What can you assign it to something? Is there something that you could tell me that you do different than everybody else? He says, I don't know. He says, I'll tell you one thing, perhaps. And that is that when I was a, a bacher, he says, you know, we used to get allowance from our parents or maybe they would win contests and they would get money for those contests. And my friends would go and buy Svarim with the money, or they would buy uh, maybe food with the money, or toys with the money, whatever they were, whatever they were into, they would use with the money that they got as an allowance or as prize money. What did I use the money for? I used to take taxis to yeshiva, private moniot. I would take to yeshiva. He says I didn't want to take the bus to yeshiva. Everybody's taking the public bus. He says there are girls on the bus. I didn't want my eyes to be exposed on the way to learning Tyra to girls on the bus. And I think we all know what we're talking about. You take a bus in Yerushalayim, in Eretz Yisrael, so there's girls on the bus and there's you know, things to look at on the bus and you try to stick your head in the chumash, but how long can you do that for? He says, so I used that money. Every day I took a, I took a private cab to yeshiva and that way I didn't have to be exposed to anything that, you know, that was out there. And that's why he became Rabbi Shariyeli, because it was kireku mikem. It was, he didn't want that it should be mikem. He didn't want that there was going to be a chisar and a deficiency in his own body, in his mouth, in his brain, in his eyes, buttermilk on his glasses. He wanted to be able to have the purity, to be a clay kibble, to be a pure receptacle, one of the clay mishkan, one of the clay mikdash. He wanted to be that in order to be holding the luchas, in order to be holding the shemen lamar to light the menairah. You have to be able to be a proper receptacle. You have to be miksha tasas ha It's not easy. It's, a, it's the struggle of our life. It's the challenge of our generation, of our times, because, you know, in our own pockets, in our phones, in our computers, in our laptops, in, our, in, our, in, our, in everything, on the billboards and on the buses and on the trains, you can't avoid seeing things, unfortunately. But the degree by which we could try and make efforts to not, that's the degree by which we will begin to appreciate Taira as it should be appreciated. We have to be the Kaihanim in the Mikdash. B'nai Taira, B'nai Yeshiva are the Kaihanim. We are the Naisea Aaron. We are the people that are carrying the Aaron. We're carrying the Taira. Who else is carrying the Taira if not for us? I had a Rebbe in Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, a tremendous guy, and he used to say the following Vart. I know it's very late. He used to say the following Vart. He says like this. He said that if you look in the, in the, uh, in the Rambam, the Rambam has one of the svarim of the Rambam is, is Hilchas Klei HaMikdash, the laws of the Klei HaMikdash, which is really our parshias, Truma, Tetzaveh, it discusses the Klei and then it also, in the Klei it also speaks about Kaihanim and the dinim of Kaihanim, what Kaihanim are expected to do, and their age, and their Avaidah, and what, what the Kaihanim are doing. Why did the Ramam put this in the Hilchas Klei So he said, I always wanted to say that the Kaihanim themselves were the Klei 
There was the Menaira, there was the Shulchan, there was the Kiar, there was the Aran, and then there were the Kaihan, and the Kaihan were also, they just, they happened to be human Kleamiktish, but they were also the Kleamiktish. They were vessels that Akadish Barchel employed in the Mikdash for use. He says, This Vard I would say all the time until Frankel Rabbim came out. You know, talking about going over printing Rishinim. Rabshapsi Frankel printed, you know, I don't know how many years ago, decades ago, the, the Frankel Rambam. He redid the whole Rambam and he did it in a beautiful manner. And he did a lot of research and he added to the Rambam and he took out from the Rambam. He, he did a tremendous scholarly, he had a whole team of scholars that worked on it. And, when, and he put in, he found an old Ksavyad that the real title of those halachas in the Rambam was Hilchas Klei HaMikdash Ve'a'evdimbay. The real, it wasn't just Hilchas Klei HaMikdash, it was the laws of the Klei HaMikdash and those that serve in the Mikdash. That, that includes the Kaihanim. He says, that destroyed my whole vart. My whole vart about the Kaihanim being Klea Mikdash, he says, went out the window, thanks to, Sh- to Shapsi Frankel. You know, he did away with that vart. But the vart is still an emissa vart. The vart is still true. The Kaihanim are the Klea Mikdash. And we are the Kaihanim. We're serving in the Mikdash. Look what we're doing. Every day we're in Yeshiva. We get to serve davening. We serve learning. We chazer. We night seder, mitzvahs, taira. We're the Kaihanim in this day and age. And this is our Mikdash. And we have to be perfect in our Aveda. We have to have, we have to have a perfect Klea Mikdash in us. Our eyes should be perfect. Our ears should be perfect. Our mind should be perfect. And to the degree by which we're able to do that in this time, and I recognize and I know myself that it's extremely hard to, be ha- to have you know, all the proper shmira of the Klea Mikdash in us because it's ubiquitous. But Afal Pikain, if we could do it, the more we could do it, I think we'll discover that we have a much bigger Gishmak in Tyra. If we want this Gishmak in Tyra, if we want to see the Kaftar and the Prachim, we have to clean our glasses and clean our minds and clean our eyes and clean our, our, our mouths from all the, the schmutz that we are unfortunately immersing in. And so when you wonder why is it that I'm not getting a bigger Gishmak in learning, if a Gishmak at all, I think that these things that we're talking about today might be uh, you know, the first step in the direction of attaining a real hana and learning, the Aineg, to be sas v'sameach in the, in the Liman Atayra, like the immortal words of the Egle Tal, liye sas v'sameach umis'aneg bilimudai, the az divrei Tayra nivlam bidame, in order for the divrei Tayra, the words of Tayra, to actually be absorbed with a beauty with a geschmack, with a love in our very blood. Have a beautiful Shabbos, Rabbi Sayyid.